0: You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net.
1: Well, hey, Resonate, happy Easter. Wherever you're at, whatever screen that you're watching, I'm so glad that we are connecting in in this Easter experience together. And typically, we would say how nice you look and how nice you smell, but but I don't know what you're wearing, and you might be wearing those same sweats that you've been wearing for ten days. That they're you know you got your work sweats, and then you got your after work sweats, and um, and they're just kind of all merging together at this point and You're just kind of just kind of making it work, and so uh, and we won't even talk about the smell at this point. So um, I think that there is a fascinating moment that we're in, um, and and this moment. Man, I would have never expected for us to have a time where, where I'm speaking to you on a, on a camera, where you're not in a place listening to your SP, gathered together, celebrating um, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter. Um, and yet, here we are, and we are spread out across the nation. And yet, in this moment, it, it might be that we are experiencing more connectivity than we ever have before. That this moment is actually bringing us together, and that we're, we're really orienting around this, this significant moment in all of our lives as we begin to ask, what does this crisis mean and what does it look like for us to navigate this? And so the question is really on this Easter in 2020, what does this coronavirus and Easter have to do? How do they merge together? What do we say about this? And to be honest, I've been thinking all week, what is it that I need to say? What is it that we need to hear? What is it that we need to be reminded of in this moment? What, is it, what does it mean? What does Easter mean in light of, of sickness and death and layoffs and, and uncertainty in our futures and the toll that this is mounting on, on each of us as we begin to process what it what it looks like? What, what do we need to hear? What do we need to be brought back to? And the more I comprehended this and the more I began to, kind of process this i think there's something radically powerful about this this reality of easter and the way that this day marks an event in history and this in the midst of all this is something i cannot think is there's any better of a truth than the truth that have gives, that, that have given confidence to believers for the last 2000 years that there's something radically powerful about the discovery of hope that when people find hope, they do crazy things. When people find hope, it changes everything, and so that's what we've been oriented around in this, to be able to say hope looks like this, and for us to be able to point this and be able to say this hope is founded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so this today is a reference point, and that reference point is a day that references back something that happened, that there's this thing that happened, and that thing that happened is the bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, And this resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth 2,000 years ago is the event in history that changed history because it gave the greatest hope in history to us. And so in this, what this begins with is the word if. And every great moment that begins to say, what will become of this? How do we look for the future? That hope begins with this idea of if this, if this is true. And so we begin there and we ask if the resurrection event is true then what what does this mean and this ultimately comes back to you and I and what do we believe about this event and what do we believe about the event of the resurrection because if you are a believer we are people that are event people that we don't just have a book and we don't just have a person, we have an event and this event is at the centerpiece of our faith and so we have to ask, what do we believe about this event and, and here's where it gets pretty difficult sometimes is that you and I don't have a reference point for this in our world. So when it comes to resurrection, you have not been resurrected. I have not been resurrected. We've not known anybody who's been resurrected. And we also are immersed in a world that effectively marginalizes anything that is unexplainable or supernatural. That we live in a world where those things, if we cannot explain it, it's something that we cannot put our trust in. And so in this world where our scientific method is really the basis of anything that we are to say we we reliably know, then when we go back and say that we are finding and founding our our truth on a historical event, um, there begins to be a tension there and there begins to be a a place where we have to say, what does this mean and what does it look like? And so what we begin to really have as a tension is that history cannot be reproduced we cannot use the scientific method to go back and say let's take and, and run that again let's see that let's let's recreate that to validate the claims and to be able to figure out how we can make sure that there's something that we can validate that that's not a reality and so therefore we have to go back and we have to look at this almost through the lens of a detective and we begin to see All the circumstances around that, and we have to ask, is this enough for us to be able to put our hope in, put our trust in, to be able to say, This is a truth that we can actually reliably trust? And we look at that, there's two things that we go back and say, Hey, these are fundamental things about the story of the resurrection, and one is an empty tomb, and so we read the resurrection story and we begin to see that there's this moment where they go and these women find an empty tomb that Jesus was put there, that the story of Jesus who lived his life and orchestrated his death on the Roman cross was put into a tomb and as they go to be able to visit Jesus there, they discover that he is no longer in the tomb and the tomb is is empty. And then they run back and they tell the rest of the the disciples that this is the case. And they all find out really quickly that on the third day, this tomb is empty. But it's not just that reality because if it's just that, it might've been a puzzling piece, but it could have been explained by someone taking the body or, or something that happened that really removed the body and did something with it. But there's another piece to this that really creates this other aspect to the reliability of this story, and that is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And these post-resurrection uh, appearances of Jesus happened over 40 days um, to not only just his gr- group of close followers, but to crowds of up to 500 people. And in these, um, in these things, what we begin to find is that these two things, when they're considered together, We begin to find that they're both necessary, that you can't have one without the other. If you have appearances of Jesus, but there's a body in the grave, then that doesn't make any sense. And if you just have the the empty grave um, and no appearances, then there's an easy way to explain this away. But you put these things together and then you add in the kind of people that they became and the kind of movement that they produced out of this. And you begin to have something that's a very compelling thing. And we can go back to this and we begin to apply reliable historical methods to this. And then we can begin to say, okay, what does this event mean? What do we say about this event? Is it a reliable thing to put our faith in? And so you might be, I'm saying, I'm still skeptical about this, I'm not sure. And so, so let me kind of give you a way to be able to think about this because I think that as we look back at that event, and we look back and say, is it reliable? The way that we see that event and the, and the things that we use to be able to say that actually is a reliable event that by historical proof standards to this account, we can look at the entire body of evidence and realize that there's a truth that emerges it is the same sort of kind of proof that you use in other parts of your life. And so let's take an example. If I was in Pullman and I was walking down and I saw a bear um, in, in, in Pullman, one, I would run. Um, but two, after I would be running away from this bear, um, I would be in to say, "Okay, what just happened there?" And and so there's three things that that could be possible. One, there's uh, some some person in a bear costume, right? And so they're just freaking everybody out, and they're like, "Hey, it's really funny if we dressed up as a bear and you know went around downtown downtown, downtown Pullman." Or two, it could be that maybe there's just something that happened in my own mind and I looked in this and I thought I saw a bear. And then I just started running and people don't understand why is this dude running like he's you know, being chased by a bear because he's obviously not. And it might have just been my own thing, my own hallucination. Or three, there was really a bear there. Now, the question of whether the, my experience, what, what would be able to define my experience, what if there was something that I found out that the, you know, the WSU Research Center had a bear that escaped? Now, if I would gotten that piece of information and put that into my reality, then it might be that like, oh, I didn't see it escape, but it makes a ton of sense that the bear that I saw in downtown Pullman was likely from the place that it escaped. And, and though I might not have seen that action, I can kind of deduce that I, that was that was probably what happened. Maybe it's uh, if you were to be able to say had, there's somebody, maybe you're on the side of a river. Let's let's take another scenario. And you see a friend on the other side of the river and they're not they're not wet and there's no bridge. You might not know how they got there, but the natural idea is that somehow a boat brought them over to the other side of the river, right? Because they're not wet, there's no bridge. But you might be able to say, my thought is that I can predict or begin to be reasonably I'm sure that somehow a boat got them over there, even if I don't see the boat. Or maybe like a regular crime detective, you begin to see a murder weapon, you begin to see fingerprints, blood, um, you begin to see a, a crime scene that fits, fits all this together, a motiver, and you begin to put all these things together and you might be able to say, okay, when I put all those things together, while I might not have been present for that, all of these things point to a pretty significant reality. In fact, this is just the way that we begin to think and the way we process in our world about what is reliable and what can be be ultimately kind of proven in this. In fact, there's moments where uh, we, we believe so clearly in this that when there's something that doesn't fit that, that's what seems strange. So we weren't there. Um, when uh, whatever happened with O.J. Simpson happened, right? But we saw the trial and we heard all this evidence and we began to kind of put that thing together and most people thought, you know what? It seems like the jury got it wrong. So there's something that was like clear in terms of being able to say, hey, this is, this is not what, what happened. Somebody argued that. But, but really, as we begin to think about that, all these things point to these realities and we might actually think that's more likely than something else, even though he got off. So in this we have to ask is it possible for someone who's reasonable to be able to understand that there's significant foundations that we can actually put our belief in so the bodily resurrection of jesus is something that is reliable enough by historical standards to be able to say there's sufficient evidence for us to put our hope and to belief to believe in this if we're reasonable people and so If we start there and say, hey, there's an event, then we have to ask this question, what does it mean? What does this mean? And this is what begins to be clear. So here's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one. He says this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one that is to come. Now, this is, is Paul. And what is he saying is that there's this clarity. And what was so fascinating is in the early church, one thing that was so clear is the understanding of the, of the resurrection. And so this is what they had their focus on and, and this is what they understood. This is where they began to get their hope and this is what motivated them to begin to live this thing out. And so as they began to take and plant churches in Ephesus, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, here's what I need you to understand. I'm praying that your, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened or in other, uh, other places it says that your hi- eyes of your heart might be opened, that you would discover something, that there would be a moment, that there would be a clarity that you'd be able to have in your life. He's like, this is what I want you to have. My prayer is that you would see something and so that you might know something, so that you would see something, that you would know something. And the thing that you would need to know is that there is hope. And this is what he begins to say. Here's the hope. He says, the hope is in the incomparably great power for us that believe. So there's a discovery. And then there's a knowledge. That knowledge is the hope. That hope is founded on this availability of an incomparably great power to those that believe. And here's what he says, that this is not just some sort of a, a power that comes out of nowhere. Here's where it's connected to. This is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Now he's, what he's saying is this, that there's a moment where the power that God revealed to us that is available to us, this same reality, this is what was displayed in the resurrection, that the resurrection revealed the truth. So there's an event and this event that we can go back and say, okay, the historicity of this is enough for us to reliably believe and this points to this new reality, this points to this truth. There's something that is now true and this truth that is now available to us is the power that God demonstrates over everything by the demonstration in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says this, all of this is connected to this moment where God displays this power. He says, there's something in this moment that everything changed. And this everything changed is this reality of there's, there's this availability of something. There's this, there's this new thing. And so it's a little bit like this, that at some point, uh, again, before any of us were born, there was this discovery of, and harnessing of electrical power, and so while this would have been inherent and been a part of everything that had preceded this for generations and and, and thousands of years, all of a sudden, someone discovered a way to harness electrical power. And and, by, and think about that. So you've grown up all of your life and you've used candles for light and you use fire. To be able to heat things. And then all of a sudden, what happens is you have electrical power. And all of a sudden, there's this thing called a light bulb. And it doesn't burn, but someone flips a switch, and all of a sudden, it glows and it emanates light. And it's something that you've never seen before. All of a sudden, there's something that's available. There's a power that is there that has now been revealed. And so this is what happens. It's like something gets flipped in the resurrection. And all of a sudden, these people begin to say, I see this. There's this new power. And this transforms everything, just like in our lives. If we think about what would it be like to live without electricity? What would it be like for us to live without the reality of having electrical power in our life. This is what becomes clear for those who begin to see the resurrection and begin to understand that there's something that unleashes this new reality. And so if we think about the way that we live our lives and we begin to think about Christianity, there's all these themes. There's the theme of justice and and who God is and his equality towards everyone. And that is something that we begin to say, man, that's deeply powerful and it's and it's beautiful and it's real and then we have things like his love and we say God is love and this is one of the essence of who he is and demonstrates um, a characteristic of what it's about and then we have begin to have morality and morality is the sense of being able to have clarity on the way that we should live our lives and what is right and what is wrong and each one of these are, are things that we can begin to put our hope in or, or put our clarity in and to be able to say man this is a significant thing but to the early church The reality was, is that the resurrection was the only thing that ultimately was the thing that unleashed hope. That when they begin to understand the resurrection and they begin to, Paul began to display and and explain what the resurrection was all about, this is what began to take hopeless people, people that were going about their lives, and this is what began to infuse them with the the reality of what Jesus did and the hope that they possessed. And they began to change the world with this and they began to transform everything around them. That hope looks like people who anchor their lives around this truth of Jesus's bodily resurrection and the truth of God's power that's administrated through that and here's what this means if we begin to ask okay there's an event and this event is connected connected to a truth but then how does this truth begin to play itself out what do we do if you're into software development or have a knowledge of how some of these things work there's a there's a phrase or there's kind of this this thing that begins to point to how things work and it's called IFTTT and IFTTT stands for this, if then, I'm sorry, if this, then that, if this, then that. And so what this is called is an applet and an applet basically streamlines and simplifies and anticipates and provides immediate opportunities to do things based upon a trigger. And so there's these two things, there's a trigger and there's an action. So the trigger begins this thing and then there's a following action from this. And so it's all over your lives and how kind of things work around us. But it's this thing that if this, then that. And I believe that the early church, one of the things that was unique and fascinating about what they did was that they lived out this applet of the resurrection. If this, then that. If the resurrection, then blank. And what we begin to see is something that I hope that you can lean into because the story that we get to see that is a part of 2000 years of our history that have gone through crises before is a group of people that understood if the resurrection, then blank this. If we take the event and we begin to believe the truth that comes out of that event, then we begin to live our lives in this, this kind of way. If we think, if the resurrection, then I can discover something real instead of creating something on my, life, on my own. If the resurrection, that there's a bigger story than I fit into. If resurrection, then God is pursuing me personally. If resurrection, then gospel rejection is worse than death. If resurrection, then everything in this world is temporary. If resurrection, then God has demonstrated his power over everything. If resurrection, then God's love is bigger than I can comprehend. If resurrection, then anything else I put my hope in will let me down. If resurrection, there's power for you to change. If resurrection, then your prayers can change the world. If resurrection, then your future is secure. If resurrection, then you have, no, you have hope no matter what this crisis brings. If resurrection, then all fear is gone. If resurrection, then you can face any trial. If resurrection, then you're never really alone. If resurrection, you are welcomed as a child of God. If resurrection, then there's no sin that can separate you from God. If resurrection, there's no decision that God can't redeem. If resurrection, then peace begins to replace anxiety. If resurrection, then hope rises with each new day. If resurrection, then death has been defeated. If resurrection, then you can discover God working for your good. If resurrection, then you owe your whole life to God. And if resurrection, then you find your hope in Jesus once and for all. If the resurrection is a question that we all have to ask ourselves, if the resurrection, then what does this mean for my life? If it really happened, if it reveals the truth about who God is, if this, then what for you? As we think about this, there's some of you that might think, man, this is super strange. And I don't know what I believe about this. But I think there's some of you that you hear this reality of the truth of the resurrection and you get a sense about what this means and what the implications could be. And this hope that begins to spark something in you And you begin to believe that this might be the truest thing that you've ever heard in your life. And there's something that ignites hope deep inside of you. And there's something that connects you to 2,000 years of Christians that have accelerated the movement of Christianity that started with 120 people. And there's some of you that are going to discover this power of hope in this season because it's a little bit like stars at night that you begin to see hope when everything gets dark. And you begin to see and experience this when everything around you goes dim. And there's going to be an understanding of the resurrection that radically changes your life. In this moment, the risen Jesus will seem as real in your life as anything that you've ever experienced before in your life. And I'm excited to be able to see what God is going to do in many lives in this moment. But I want us to really be clear, and it's really unkind of me to, to, to assume anything, because in this moment, there's going to be, if not right now, it's gonna be in the future somewhere in our lives where something's gonna be stripped away from us. When those things that we rely upon, those things that we put our hope in are going to be stripped apart, and it is, if it is not Jesus, if it is not the resurrection, if, it not, if it's not his power, then that's going to be revealed in a very significant way then it's gonna be shown to us that our hope is founded on something that could never deliver in our lives. And so I want us to be able to make sure that our hope is founded on being able to experience the risen, alive Jesus of the resurrection. And if it's anything else, it's going to let us down. And so the question is, what does hope look like for you? And what does this mean for your life and right now sometimes it's easy to lean on religious platitude or vague ideas but I want us to peer into our souls and peer into the deepest part of us and say what really is my hope founded on what is it that I think is going to be the 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 thing that I'm going to rely upon and is this something that is going to ultimately reliably, significantly meet all of my needs and not let me down. Because this is what people discovered, that the power of hope should never be underestimated. And when that hope is found in Jesus Christ, it's sufficient. Even if everything else around us is difficult, our hope in Jesus is sufficient to change our lives And our hope in Jesus is sufficient to change our world. It has changed life after life, and it has changed the world through the movement of Christianity. And so we have to ask this question, what does hope look like? And do I find my hope in the essence and the reality of the event of Easter 2,000 years ago, where Jesus overcame death and was resurrected? Is that where our hope is found? And so I want to give you a moment just to be able to ask that. And I know it's kind of a deep question, but what do you find your hope in? Take a minute and process that.
2: Hi, my name is Corey, and I'm a sophomore at Eastern Washington University. Uh, last year when I came to Cheney, I um, was living pretty much an entirely different life. I completely rejected the idea of having a relationship with the Lord. And I was going out and I was partying and drinking and doing all of that stuff. And um, at that point in my life, I just didn't think that there was any way I could have a relationship with the Lord. I didn't have very much hope and I just think that was possible for me. Um, and then winter of my freshman year, I started getting invited to the Village, and I started hanging out with these people, and um, through that, they shared the gospel with me, and they showed me that having a relationship with the Lord was possible for me, and so in spring of that year, I decided to follow Jesus, and... Have a real relationship with the lord
3: and ever since then it's just been incredible to see how the lord has transformed me and brought me from death to life hey guys my name is jeff and throughout my whole life i've never felt a sense of security in any kind of relationship i had i was lost and had no direction in life this led me to putting my identity into other people in hopes of trying to get their approval and try and feel that unconditional love that no one could ever give me my life was centered, self-centered, and I was allowing friendships to be the idol of my life, and that's just one of the many things I strive for every day. I finally felt God working in my life through, through the people he has placed here, and that's the team that moved to Boza, Montana, to church plant on campus. The First time I had met them was on July 4th, and I could clearly see the Holy Spirit working in their community, and that's, and I realized it was very different than what I was used to. Their identity wasn't in things that could be taken away, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I decided to give my life to Jesus on July 31st, of 2019, and God is, through that, God has given me hope and a sense of worth, allowing me to see the true beauty in life, even through these difficult times today. Because of him, I'm more appreciative realizing how much of a blessing it is to have this opportunity to reach thousands of students as a strong faith-led community. This is the confidence that we have towards him as a church that if we ask anything according to his will, he gives us.
0: Hi guys, my name is Mikayla. So before Christ, I had a lot of anxiety. I was told that my anxiety was too much for people and that my anxiety was a burden. And so as an outlet, I started to go to church, but I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with him. And I also didn't know what the story of the gospel was. I also got baptized, but I didn't know what that meant either. And so in the fall of 2019, my sophomore year of college, I was introduced to Resonate Church. And my friend Jess explained the gospel to me. And I remember that day so clearly because I finally understood what it meant to follow him. And so since that day, I got baptized in December of 2019 and I've been able to experience him. I've also been able to give up earthly desires and plans I've made for myself um, because there's so much freedom in that and knowing that his plan is greater than any plan that I can make for myself. I've also realized what it's meant to live in community and not isolate myself and Resonate Church has given me that community and I'm so blessed to be able to be a part
4: of it. I grew up in a harsh environment where gangs, drugs, and alcohol were our norm. Um, I was also starved and beaten at a young age. So I was very broken growing up and had very little hope from uh, others, but had a lot of hope for myself that I could figure it out on my own. But I started to realize that I could only take myself so far. And after all that time of being lost, I transferred to Boise State my sophomore year. And really what sparked my interest was a, um, an initial invite to a village where I began to meet a ton of people and uh, created community. And what was really cool was that um, a buddy of mine from high school actually led my village. And then that spark just became uh, a light that was working through me, um, that gave me that hope in Christ that I was looking for. And ever since, um, I've been baptized, I've shared my testimony. And most importantly, I've had the chance to receive the free gift from God, and that is His Word. And these things have just uh, given me a sense of um, what internal hope um, feels like with Christ. And I don't want that to stop at me, but I want to continue to share uh, my experiences and feelings with others so that one day they can um, find that internal hope in Christ.
2: Before Jesus, I was a prisoner to anger, self-righteousness, and, and obedience that I believe would have led to my salvation. The problem was, was that I always fell short. Everyone and everything that I put on the throne of my life failed me, and then I met Jesus. Jesus offered me the free gift of salvation and an eternity in heaven with the one who created me. He broke my chains and showed me that Grace isn't something I can earn by my own doing. It's a gift from Him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the greatest story that's ever been told. And you have the same free gift of salvation right now.
1: Those are some amazing stories. And I want us to take and, and conclude our time and here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to uh, memorize a Bible verse together. And this Bible verse is John 11:35. 35. Now, if you're like, hey, I'm tired of online school, don't wanna do anything, I didn't come here to be able to get back into memorizing the stuff, I, let, me, let me let you know what you're in for. It's two words, shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept, Jesus wept. Okay, so I'll give you a minute to kind of process that Jesus wept. Now, it's a little bitty verse, but it is a very significant one because it's located in a resurrection story. Now, this is not the resurrection of Jesus, this is the resurrection of Lazarus. And in this moment, here's what happens. You begin to see Jesus and he's with his, his guys and all of his disciples and he's in a, a town and in another town, his friend Lazarus um, is sick and they send for Jesus and to say, hey, come and, and you gotta come over here because Lazarus is sick and he's not looking very good. And so what happens is that Jesus, instead of coming immediately, he waits, and he waits until Lazarus dies. Doesn't seem like a good friend move, but here's the reality. Jesus knows what he's doing, and so he goes, and after he knows that, that Lazarus has died, he goes and he travels to, this, to, this, to his house, and as he meets um, Lazarus's sisters there what happens is that you know they're saddened by this and they're kind of frustrated with this reality that if Jesus had only come when they'd sent him then then ultimately he could have done something about Lazarus dying and here's this fascinating reality that in this Jesus knows the entire time that the point of what he's doing is to reveal something significant to them he knows that his power is going to be put on display he knows that this is going to be made right He knows that he is doing all of this for their good. He knows that he is currently writing a better story that reveals more of his power. But in this moment, they are grieving and they are sad and they're missing their brother. And when they're confronted with the rest of their lives without the reality of their brother, they begin weeping. And here's what Jesus does in that moment Jesus, who have, has orchestrated this whole thing on purpose in order to be able to provide something significant that's for their good, that's for them to be able to have this, this aha moment that begins to just just create this crazy amount of belief in their life. He's doing all of this because he's working something for their good. And yet in the moment when they are weeping, we go back to John eleven thirty five, 35, and it says, Jesus wept. And it's this baffling moment where we begin to see the Son of God, who has the power to change all of this, take a moment and enter into the sadness and enter into the sorrow of the people whose lives he's about to flip upside down. And in that moment, it reveals something about who God is, and it reveals how he relates to people who are in difficult times, people in crisis. And so here's what happens. Jesus takes and then he reveals to them the bigger story that he's writing by taking and bringing Lazarus to life. He takes and he calls Lazarus out of the grave and he has the power To be able to overcome death and he demonstrates this power and their weeping is turned to joy and i want us to get this is jesus and in this moment jesus reveals who he is and jesus who is alive and living and has the power over death is doing this thing and it reveals the character of jesus to us so here's this reality that jesus carries in your life the capacity and the power to overcome anything. And in this moment, your future may seem unclear. In this moment, you may be in a place where this is Painful. In this moment, you might feel confused. You might feel overwhelmed. You might look to the future and you begin to have all this fear and anxiety. And I want you to understand that your heavenly father is near. He is not distant. He's not looking back with his his arms folded saying, Yeah, I'm going to take care of this. I'm just going to let you get past your pity party. He's there with us, beginning to say, I'm entering into your reality with you. But I want you to know that simultaneously, I'm working this for your good and I'm doing something in your life, and you are going to see me operate in a way that maybe you maybe you don't understand, and maybe you don't clearly see right now, but God is writing a better story for you. His power is ultimately making things right, even if you can't see it, and his power is giving you what you need, even if right now this is not what you want. His power is revealing his glory through your life, and it's ultimately there to give you hope for the future. So you can say, I, "What? here's what I see and God is present in this but I see forward and I have hope and that hope allows me to be able to look forward in the future with confidence and say if the resurrection then I can live the next day and the next day and have joy even in the midst of suffering even in the midst of pain and so in this Easter season here's what we ask and here's what we realize that Jesus is who weeps with us, is the one who beat death, who's the one who displays his power available to us. If the resurrection, then what in our lives? And so resonate, may we live tethered to the hope that we find in Jesus in this Easter of 2020. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would take and you would build in us such a deep reservoir of hope founded upon not something that we have created on our own, but that we have discovered in your son, Jesus Christ. And that Lord, that you would create a group of people that would begin to see their lives and to be able to see their future with a kind of hope that allows them to have confidence and peace in the midst of this, Lord. We know that hope creates hope incredible things in this world. And so I pray that you would build up a hopeful people based upon the reality of the event of the resurrection and the truth of your power in our lives. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Love you guys.
0: Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.